We are so thankful to have Joshua Paxton, uh, who is at the Burnham Center for Global Engagement, also an associate professor of intercultural studies at Calvary University. And we're so grateful that he can be here and challenge us uh, to reach uh, the mission field locally and globally. And Josh, won't you go ahead and come and speak to us this morning? Thank you, Pastor Jeremy. Hello, everybody. Hi. All right. Interactive crowd. I like it. Yes. Um, so, okay. So, yes, my name is Joshua Paxton. Um, the, the initials are a new thing. I'll graduate in April. Um, hopefully. They, they, haven't, they haven't, like, officially said that they will release me just yet. Um, I guess I don't have to turn over backwards. It's over there, too. So, uh, But as Pastor Jeremy was saying, I am the director of the Burnham Center for Global Engagement, which is basically a fancy way of saying that anything at Calvary University has to, that has to do with missions comes through my door. And so we do a lot of different things, offering trips for students, educating them, part of the intercultural studies program. Um, I have some students coming up in a couple weekends. We'll be going down to Ethnos 360's training center in Roach, Missouri. How's that for a name of a town? Uh, but we will go down there and just enjoy a time of learning about how they do tribal missions. It's just fantastic. I mean, here's a missions organization that is going to send you to the deepest, darkest jungle they can find with a people group who doesn't have a written language, and they are going to expect you to live. I mean, that in itself is a little bit of a challenge, right? Uh, but live, learn the language, translate that language, teach the people their own language. That kind of boggles the mind a little bit. Uh, but translate scripture, disciple them, lead them to Christ, and plant a church. I have a sign-up sheet right back there. Uh, so who's with me? All right, well, okay, I don't have a sign-up sheet back there. What I do have back there, however, uh, are multiple copies of Marv Newell's new book, A Third of Us. Uh, you'll, re you'll recognize the individual who wrote the foreword. But um, this is my gift to you. Uh, so please take a copy, take two copies, give it away to some folks. If, if the copies on top run out, then there's, there's more under there. I'll mention a little bit about what the content is of that book here in a little bit. So, uh, but I am married. I always, I, I don't know, I have a weird thing. I kind of like to know who's talking to me. So, all right. So, uh, so I am married. There's my beautiful wife up there. We have three boys. Yes, the two on opposite sides are twins. And I'm going to talk a little bit about Generation Z this morning. They just snuck their way in. Uh, they're like the very tail end of Generation Z. You see the Donate Life Month thing there. So I have had two kidney transplants. Um, and so FYI, when I step off the stage, I might put my mask back on. It's not you. It's me. Uh, kidney transplants come with medication that lowers your immune system and everything. So, But... Um, that so April coming up will be National Donate Life Month. If you're not, sign your license, be an organ donor, okay? Uh, this bottom picture down here is some students that I took to Greece. Uh, then the next picture over, some students we spent some time helping out Belton's downtown fall festival and cleaning the street for them. So, but 
I enjoy, you know, something you're going to hear a lot from me this morning is the importance of relationships. And, and so I enjoy doing life with my students. I enjoy spending time getting to know them and being in relationship with them. And I hope, I know I have, you know, I have this opportunity with you here this morning, but I hope that this is the beginning of a relationship. Uh, and that's kind of what I'm going to be getting into now. As I understand, you've been talking about missions, working your way through Philippians, talking a bit about partnership. And so I really hope that this could be the beginning of a relationship. Uh, we want to be, you know, I want to be, but the Burnham Center wants to be a resource for all of you, right? We want to be available to help you to fulfill your mission for reaching the nations. Missions, as we talked about this morning in Sunday School, missions is the responsibility of the local church. Not the school, not the mission agency. It's the responsibility of the church. My job is to help you is to resource you, to give you the, school, the knowledge, the skills, whatever you need to be able to do that well. I think I'm backwards here. Let's see if I can get to the next slide. There we go. Okay. Uh, I always say technology is great when it works. All right. So this morning, I want to talk a little bit about mobilization. Okay. So my role at Calvary is I'm a teacher. So I have classes. I'm the head of the intercultural studies program. The students come. They want to learn about cross-cultural communication and making disciples and planting churches and all the things that goes into being a missionary, right? But that's not how I see my, my role. My role at the school is to mobilize the next generation for missions. It's to get them prepared. It's to raise them up train them, prepare them, get them connected with a missions organization, help them be connected with their local church, and then send them on their way. Because they're not supposed to stay at Calvary. That's, that's not right. I'm, I stay at Calvary, but they're not supposed to stay there. They're supposed to go out into the world, just as we've been singing about this morning, and reach the people who don't know him. Okay, so this morning I want to talk a bit about mobilizing the next generation, and I want to talk about partnerships. And I want to I want to do this with three words. I didn't. I, I should have brought a brought a handout for y'all. But uh, the first word is why. Why do we do this? Why Why do missionaries leave homes and families, and why do they go to all of these countries? Why Why bother? Right? Why go through the stress, and it is stressful, of raising support and all of that? Why go through the training? Why put yourself through years of school in order to go give a message to people who don't even recognize that they need the message and they don't really want you there? Why would we do that? Okay? The second is how. Right? Now, this morning, I'm going to give you a specific how which is, you know, one how, there's lots of hows related to missions, but one of those hows is mobilizing the next generation. And the last thing is what? And I'm going to give you a very specific way <coughs> that the local church, Calvary, mission agencies can work together to see this accomplished. Okay? So, <coughs> uh, FYI, something you should know about me. Calvary's classes are in three-hour blocks. So I regularly teach for three hours at a time. 
So hopefully I'll be able to let you go about two. Y'all, y'all good with that? You good? You got a comfortable seat? Okay. Uh, we got some water. Maybe they'll just bring the food in here. Okay. Uh, so, all right. So let's go. So what's the problem with these two pictures? So the top picture, you probably can't see it horribly well. The top picture is statistics data. Uh, it's a little dated. This is from 2010, but I guarantee you it hasn't changed a whole much, uh, a whole lot. And so the top picture is this is where missionaries are going. So these are the places that missionaries are currently going to. And those numbers, if you can see them, that's in thousands, right? The bottom picture is this is where the gospel is needed most. This is where those red circles is where the 3.1, so the title of that book is A Third of Us. That's because there's around 7.2, 7.3 billion people in the world, and 3.1 billion, or actually around 41, 42% of them, are considered unreached. What does that mean? That means they live in areas with little to no gospel access. Statistically, so from a marketing perspective, that's how they figure this out, that means that less than 2% of the population in those red areas knows Christ. So that's where the unreached people are, and that's where the missionaries are going. What's wrong with these two pictures? They don't add up, do they? I, they don't add up at all. There is a humongous disparity between where missionaries are currently going and where the gospel is needed most. Now, there's a lot of reasons for that, and it would take me until 2 o'clock to go into all the reasons for why that is, okay? Put very simply, the biggest reason is because those people live in countries that don't want you. They don't want Christians. They don't want missionaries. These are the places where persecution is the highest. They're the places where you can't go there on a missionary visa. You have to have some other means of being in the country. So you've got to work a business, have a job, etc. You've got to have some other strategy in order to go to those, those countries. But that's not going to change until we do something differently. Right? I mean, it's just going to keep, right? What's the definition of insanity? We'll just keep doing the same thing, all right? Expecting a different result. So that's not going to change. So that's my why. That is my why. Now, this morning, we talked, you know, we talked a whole lot about the why that is in this book as well, and I'll get into that as well. But this, this is a humongous why to me. Matthew 24, Jesus says, This gospel will be preached to all peoples, and then the end will come. Why has Jesus not come back? All peoples haven't received the gospel. Whose job is that? It's our job. He gave us that job. Okay? So, <clears throat> who will solve this problem? And so, I want to introduce you to one potential solution for this problem. 
Meet Generation Z. While there are many answers to the problem of reaching the world's... I, my eyes don't want to focus on that, so I'll apologize if I turn around a little bit. Uh, the problem of reaching the world's remaining people groups, the most apparent is sitting right here. And they're sitting right here. And they need to be over there. All right? <clears throat> so who is Generation Z? Now, before I go too far down the rabbit hole here, I want to give a little bit of a warning in that we're, I, I'm going to be going through some research about Generation Z. This done been done by Barna, been done by a few other folks. The, the warning is the same warning I always give my students when we're talking about other cultures. And that warning is cultures don't meet, people do. And so the warning is to be careful that whenever we generalize about any of the people that these flags represent or any generation, right, it's always a generalization. And we have to remember that the person standing right in front of me doesn't necessarily meet all those generalizations. Okay? So, so that's just a little bit of a caveat on what I'm going to talk about. All right, but born between 1995 and 2010. So my twins were born in 2010. Do we have any Gen Zers? You probably don't want to. All right, we're willing to show. Okay, all right. We're, 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 we're brave. We're brave. We're going to go there. Okay. Uh, so born between 1995 and 2010, some researchers have described them as the last generation. Okay, so we have the greatest generation, we have boomers, we have Gen Xers, that's me. Nobody talks about Gen X. We have millennials, all right, we have Gen Z, and when we get to Gen Z, not only is it the last letter of the alphabet, but some researchers have put forth that because the rate of societal change is so great, like, I mean, it changes almost daily, right? We carry around cell phones and we have computers and everything's changing, that that rate of change will get to a point where it's almost ridiculous to start talk to continue talking about different generations anymore, okay? And so they might be the final generation, right? S they are the first generation to grow up in a world where the internet, computers, cell phones, video games have always existed. They have always always known these things. The internet has always been around for them. They have always been able to hop on a computer, look in whatever the search program was. It wasn't always Google, but look in the search program and find whatever it was they need to know. My kids, my 11-year-old twins, they'll ask me a question and I'll go, I don't know, and they'll, so they'll go, ask your phone. Yeah, because my phone is all-knowing, right? right? My phone is all-knowing, okay? So these things have always existed. So it has shaped how they interact with the world, right? My first video game was Pong. It was a whole game system, humongous box that my grandmother had, and all you could play was Pong. All you could do was move the paddles up and down. Um, they don't know any differently. So that shapes the reality. It shapes the way they see the world. Okay, uh, the virtual world shapes the reality as much as the real world, right? And then, you know, we've had the whole COVID-19 thing, and, well, we have no idea what the lasting impact of that is going to be. And so this is the people that we are talking about, right? They've either recently 
graduated and joined the working force, or they're still currently in school, okay? So, so how do we teach them? Well, this is a primary concern for me as a teacher. So how do we teach them? Oh, I should have made this bigger because I can't see it back there, but uh, apologize if I'm turning my back to the camera. All right, so they prefer andragogical to pedagogical teaching styles. What that means, andragogical is the science of teaching adults. Pedagogy is how you teach kids. And so Generation Z, because of their access to information, the ability to just go find what they want when they need it, right? They prefer a ad more adult teaching style. That is, they want to be engaged with the content that they are learning, not just spoon-fed it. Here's, here's what you need to know, right? So they want to know why. Until you tell them why, they don't really care about the how and the what. So why is it important for them to know this? Right? They're not content with just knowing the information. They need to know why. They are more self-directed in their learning. Right? If they want to find something out, all they have to do is pull their phone out of their pocket, do a quick Google search, and boom. All the collective knowledge of the human race for the last 2,022 years is right here in their pocket. They have immediate access to it. The thing they lack is the wisdom on how to use it. They can find the information, but they don't necessarily know what they're supposed to do with that information. Right? That's where we come in. Okay? Uh, more self-directed, the teacher is viewed as being a facilitator rather than a subject matter expert. So recognize the I'm, I'm already I'm already heading towards two o'clock uh, but I need to speed up but so I walk into the classroom and I'm teaching a college class and my students can literally be fact-checking me while I'm teaching my class well that kind of changes the nature of the way I teach a little bit so how do I engage them with it they prefer hands-on participatory learning over lectures but they still think teachers are important. 75% of them believe that a college degree is necessary for a rewarding career, right? So they're still inclined, the vast majority of them still inclined to go to college, right? To still inclined to have that training and preparation for life. How do their experiences shape them? They have a greater awareness of global issues than previous generations. You know, I recall watching the 1988 Olympics in Seoul, Korea. And I remember we would, we would watch it live, but it was actually like 20 or 30 minutes late because of the, the distance, the, the distance that the information had to travel before we could see it. Now, boom, it's there. You're watching it live, it's live. There, there isn't any lag anymore. And so they know it. They have a greater exposure to different cultures, identities, and ways of living, which uniquely suits them for cross-cultural ministry. They are more familiar with people of other cultures and worldviews and backgrounds than previous generations are, simply because of the reality of being in close contact with them. 35% of 13 to 18-year-olds already own a business 
or plan on starting one. I'm 42. I can't even think about owning my own business at this point. Like, it's just kind of scary. Uh, so, however, they suffer from information overload. 85% of them prefer, sorry, 83, prefer face-to-face -face communication. So, uh, we have reached a point, okay? So, we have reached a point where, you know, the kind of the drag on the millennials was they're always in their electronics, right? We have reached a point with Generation Z where they can use the technology, but they don't like the technology. They prefer face-to-face -face relationships with people. And so they don't, here's an important one as it relates to mission, something I have to tell missionary recruiters every time they come to Calvary's campus, okay? They don't care about your opportunities. They care about your relational investment with them in their lives. Will you spend the time to get to know them and build a relationship with them? Because it's the relationships that they have that they will use to determine their opportunities. My students today, they can be presented with two opportunities. One where they're going to get excellent experience. They're going to be paid to do it. right? Just an excellent opportunity to advance their future ministry and career. But they don't know anybody. Another one where they might have to pay, it might be volunteer basis, it might not be quite as, much, quite as good of experience, but they know somebody who's in that ministry, and almost 100% of the time, they'll go where they have a relationship, rather than where they've been presented with an excellent opportunity, because the relationship is what really matters to them, Okay. So, some more defining characteristics, all right? Who are they? So, I want to give you five things. I'm going to go through them real quick. And then I want to give you what are our answers to these five things as the church and how we mobilize them for missions, okay? So, recession-minded. So, James White uh, notes that the war on terror, the Great Recession, etc., have left them with both a desire for economic security and a need to make a difference in the world. So they've seen all these things happening. Not that, understand, not that bad things haven't happened in the world before. Obviously, bad things have happened in the world before, but they have seen them happening live and in real time rather than just reading about it in a newspaper. They've seen, they've seen videos rather than text, okay? And so there's, yes, bad things have happened, all right? We're, you know, there's the war going on between Russia and Ukraine right now, right? Obviously, World War II trumps, all right, in, in terms of severity, okay, what's, what's happening with, with Russia and Ukraine. But people during World War II read about it in a newspaper, Generation Z is seeing the president of Ukraine live on TV, all right? They're, they're seeing it live in, in living color. And so there's, there is a difference there on the, the impact that that has on them, right? Barna adds that 43% see happiness is tied to financial success. Barna also says they tend to be distrustful of the future. They see real security and safety as myths. So... 
No, just input COVID-19 into that, right? Uh, coupled with unbridled internet access, they have grown up too quickly, being exposed to adult concepts early without the ability to handle them, without being able to really accurately address them in their lives, okay? We could, well, I won't go there. Take me too long. Uh, all right, they are always on. They're the first, the, the first smartphone was released in 1992, three years before this generation was born. So they always have access to these things. 96% of Americans own a cell phone, 81% of them being smart smartphones, 57% of Generation Z uses screen media four plus hours per day. So four or more hours out of their day, they're plugged into a screen, including class time, like time in school, where technology use is, is very prevalent, okay? Um, this has led to the psychological condition called nomophobia, which is the feeling of anxiety when you are away from your mobile device. You leave your phone at home and, you know, it's, well, we have a word for it, FOMO, fear of missing out. You're afraid that somebody's going to try to call you or text you, et cetera, or you won't have that resource available, okay? However, White also indicates that only 15% prefer to use social media. So there's still a vast majority of them that wants the personal life-on-life -life relational interaction, not just what's, what's happening through a screen. Barna indicates 91% use social media to communicate with existing relationships. Okay, so does, does this generation use social media and all that a lot? Yes, they do, but they use it to facilitate relationships they already have. So they already have a face-to-face -face personal relationship with somebody. This is just a tool to continue that relationship when they're not physically present with that person, right? Rather than an escape, it's an extension of a real relationship. I think I said I was going to do something about emphasizing relationships this morning. So, oh, am I continuing that one? I guess I'm continuing that one a little, all right? Uh, when they are anxious, so when they're experiencing anxieties, only 6% of them will turn to social media. You know, why? Social media causes anxiety <laughs> rather than being a, a help. 24% want to talk with someone. Only 2% of Generation Z will turn to prayer or reading the Bible when they are anxious. And so it's, it, it's, it's just not, not the common source for them. But the 24%, you know, one quarter of them, they want to talk to somebody. Right, so how, are, how do we make ourselves available to be the person that they want to talk to, right? Uh, we can see two clear, two clear conclusions. The importance of relationships and the absence of a biblical worldview. They're not turning to Scripture to find their understanding of reality. 60% of Gen Z respondents indicate that their generation spends too much time on screens. Isn't that funny? Not only are older generations saying, you spend too much time on a screen, they are themselves saying, we spend too much time on a screen. So, hilarious. 
Uh, they are the most diverse generation in history. So demographics of this generation, 63% white, 17% black, 21 Hispanic, 9 Asian, 3 other. For Gen Z, ethnic and cultural diversity is a normal part of life. It is a characteristic that makes them uniquely suited for, for missions, for cross-cultural ministry. And so Calvary is located in Kansas City. Kansas City is home to 63-plus ethnic groups. Those are just the ones officially recognized as part of the Ethnic Enrichment Commission. So if you were to go to northeast Kansas City and what's the name of the road? Uh, I'm drawing a blank. But uh, in between 71 and 435 uh, Highway, there's an area of the city that's called Historic Northeast. That, that part of the city is home to 3,000 Somali Bantu. You want to know a fascinating thing? The Somali Bantu are an unreached people group. You don't have to go to Somalia to reach them. Just drive up to Kansas City. I'll take you to a couple restaurants. Crazy. All right, <coughs> this one. So I share this with the, I share this with you for a very specific reason. Okay, um, you all know about this. You know what our current culture is like, right? It probably doesn't surprise you to see this about this particular generation. Um, but there's two important ramifications. So White notes the greatest value for this generation is nothing less than individual freedom. And so that is a representation of the importance of individual freedom. Don't you tell me who I'm supposed to be. I will determine who I am supposed to be. Okay. Point number two, Barna, personal achievement is the most central aspect of Gen Z's identity. 12% describe themselves as transgender. 69% believe it's acceptable to be born one gender and feel another. Right? This last point. This is, what, this is really the only thing I want you to remember out of this, is perhaps the most important ramification for this is the question of where are they finding their identity? Everything related to this issue can be summed up in that simple statement, identity. Who are you? We live in a highly individualistic culture. So I, I teach intercultural studies, right? So there's two, contra two contrasting um, statements about different cultures. You have individualism and you have collectivism, okay? Collectivism, um, we got any Star Trek fans? Anybody? Star Trek? Uh, you've, you've seen the search for Spock? Maybe, okay. And so... The, the whole theme throughout the search for Spock is do, do the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one or do the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many, okay? So collectivism, which is prevalent in Eastern cultures and Middle Eastern cultures, okay? The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one. So the one sacrifices their needs for the group, right? Individualism, the needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many. So regardless of what the group is doing, it's all about the individual. 
we live in the most individualistic society on the face of the planet. Do you realize that Western culture, especially here in the United States, is the only culture where you find a concept called adolescence? Every other culture around the world does not know of this time period in young adults' life called adolescence. And the reason for that is because every other culture out there, except for the West, gives people their identity as they are growing up. This is who you are. They teach them their identity. Only in Western culture do we say, okay, you're 13 now, figure it out. Right? Why do, we get Why do we get point number four? Because they're trying to figure it out. And they need help. You know, the human brain is not fully developed until you reach 24 years old. And we're asking 13-year-olds to figure it out. They can't. Right? We need to be giving them our, their identity, right? Where are we supposed to find our identity, class? What? What? The Bible. Okay, S more specifically, where does the Bible tell us we're supposed to find our identity? I have hearing aids in both ears, sorry. Christ. So even, even a little before that, Genesis 1.26, you were made in God's image, and that image has consequences for who you are and your worth and value to, to God. And then, yes, Christ died for you, all right? And so we're, it's not something we're supposed to be figuring out. The, the author of reality has given us the book, and he's told us the answer to this problem, right? So how are we teaching the next generation and subsequent generations, if they don't end up being the last, who they are, where they're supposed to find their identity, right? They are the first post-Christian generation, okay? So those, these, now this is people who are self-reporting, uh, so they're self-reporting to Barna and other researchers about whether or not they have a biblical worldview. All right, so among boomers, it was 10% Gen X, my generation, 7% millennials, 6 Generation Z, 4. All right, they're all low. What's the problem? It's going down. It's, it's continually trending down. Those people who personally identify that they hold to a biblical worldview. Why is it important for us to hold to a biblical worldview? I just said it. Who's the author of reality? God is the author of reality. Who is the only person who sees reality exactly as reality is? God. We are all of us blinded by sin, by our culture, right, by our environment, our context. So how are we going to come to understand how reality actually is? By reading the book. That the one being who understands it as it is gave to us. That's why we talk about a biblical worldview. Okay? 
So I am convinced, I don't know if you're convinced, but I am personally convinced that the answer to the problem of missions, that 3.1 billion people and the state of our current country is one in the same. We also have an aging missions force. And so today we look at these flags around us and a lot of the people who are on the missions field are, are aging out. They're getting to the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, okay, and they're, they just can't do it anymore. And so they're, they're coming back home. Unfortunately, we're not replacing them. I don't have a specific statistic for you, but we're, not, we're just not replacing them at the same rate that they are aging out. Okay? That is not being replaced. How are we preparing the next generation to go and reach those people who still don't know the gospel? All right, so there's a lot of, so some of that's going to be partnership with nationals on the field. Some of that's going to be supporting national workers, right? There's a lot of ways that we can, we can get this job done. But we cannot abrogate the responsibility that Christ has entrusted to us as his church to reach the nations just by writing a check. doesn't cut it so who are we raising up how are we training them how are we equipping them so that they can go out and they can take the gospel to those 3.1 billion people i forget who said it but um you know especially right now between i don't know about you guys but i have seen my my facebook feed blowing up with end time stuff Right? It happens every time. So there's a war going on, and all of a sudden, everybody wants to talk about the temple and, you know, the temple mount and Jerusalem, etc. And uh, Gog and Magog, that has been a popular one. Apparently, Russia's Gog and Ukraine is Magog. I don't even have any, I don't have a clue. All right, everybody wants to talk about the end time stuff. Is Jesus coming back anytime soon? You know what? I'm going to tell you no. You know how I know? Because 3.1 billion people still need to hear the gospel. And Matthew 24 tells us that while we can't know the day and the hour of his return, we at least know that every people is going to have an opportunity to hear before he does. So, I love eschatology as much as the next person. I do. It's fascinating stuff. I love digging into it. I am a theologian. But God has given us a job to do. We, we have a role to fulfill. And that is to proclaim the gospel. While the church does many things, there is one thing that only the church can do. So at Avant, when, when we do church planting, we have a saying for when we're doing church planting. Only do what only you can do. So we say this because as we're planting a church, we want to eventually turn that church over to the nationals. We want the nationals to take ownership of the church. It's going to be their church. We're going to get out of Dodge. They're going to be a strong local church, their people and their culture, their nation speaking their language, and they're going to be able to multiply it. Without us, we'll go on somewhere else and we'll do the same thing. And so in that, our focus 
is to only do the things that we can only do as soon as they can do something, go do it, right? And so the only, the only do what only you can do for the church is proclaiming the gospel. Nobody else is going to do that. No one else is going to tell people about Jesus. That's our job. Well, okay, well, that begs some questions. How are we doing? Right? Where are we at? How do we get better? Because if we keep doing the same thing, those 3.1 billion people will continue to be lost. I've been working at Calvary for around 10 years now. When I started working at Calvary, that number was not 3.1 billion. That number was 2.8 billion. So in the time, in the 10 years that I have been working at Calvary, the number of unreached people in the world has risen by what? What is that? 300 million? Something like that? Why? Because the birth rate in unreached countries exceeds the rate at which we are reaching them with the gospel. Until we change something about what we're doing, that 3.1 billion will continue to be unreached and the number will continue to go up. Until we do something different. We take ownership of what the Lord has given us to be and do in the world. Amen? All right. There we go. Okay, so what does Generation need? What does Generation Z need from us? What do they need? What do we as a church need to be giving them so that they will catch the vision and engage in the mission? Right? What do they need? So, number one, real safety and security. Many researchers agree that Generation Z has a real need for safety and security. Right? We're familiar with the rise of safe spaces and trigger warnings. Unfortunately, we're too quick to ridicule them instead of providing real answers. This generation recognizes that real safety is an illusion. Know what? Is real safety an illusion? Yeah. Took me an hour to drive here this morning. I very easily could have been run off the road. I could have got a flat tire. I could have, you know, who knows? We've all heard about school shootings and church shootings and, you know, what is, is real safety? Un- yes, it is. We're two years out of COVID here, right? Maybe it's over. Maybe, all right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, kinda, it's kind of an iffy thing, right? Maybe we just learned to deal with it, okay? So they recognize this. Um, they need to be led to the only true safe space, which is in a relationship with God. So no matter what happens to you in this life. So you are in that relationship with your Heavenly Father, which is the only true safe place. Right? I've given a bunch of verses up here. Uh, Pastor, I won't, 
I'm watching the clock. I won't run through all those. Pastor Jeremy has my PowerPoint, and you are free to give my PowerPoint to whoever wants it. Um, so uh, Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. It's in a restored relationship with God through Christ that we have true safety. And so are we giving that to them? Right, what do they need? Real mentoring relationships. Life on life. Right? According to Barna, when they are lonely, 45% of them want to connect with someone other than a family member. Mom, dad, don't feel bad. I, I'm a dad. I have three boys. Uh, they're, right now, mom is still everything in their life. Uh, but they, they want a relationship with somebody who they view as a mentor, a friend, somebody that they can connect with and have real honest conversations with. Um, whoops. Uh, who's not mom and dad. Not that mom and dad aren't important, but they need other relationships in their lives as well. Okay? So how are we creating that environment for them? Gen Z youth need mentors who invest real time in building lasting relationships with them. They don't want to be your project. My students at Calvary don't want to be recruited. I have gotten to the point where I tell missionaries Come to campus, do not set up a display. Do not set up a display. Do not announce your presence, right? You can come visit us at the Haystack, which is our missions prayer time on Thursday. You're all invited. And, you know, but go to the coffee shop and have a cup of coffee and sit down at a table and have some conversations. Go eat lunch with them, right? See if they'll give you a friend request on Facebook. Build a relationship. Right? They want you to invest in their lives, not just be your project. Right? This requires a genuine willingness to engage with them where they are and invest in their lives. Okay? So, <coughs> some advice. Social media, <coughs> be careful little fingers what you post. Because okay? they will see that. And they will look at you according to what you have posted. So if you post something that is mm, disparaging towards another person or another group or whatever, they're not going to look at that and go and, and think, oh, that group is bad. They're going to look at that and they're going to go, why are you doing this to these people? Right? Be careful how you engage with the platforms where they are, right? Um, their, their youth group. Is it more than a, I don't know, you guys have a youth group. Is it more than a once a week activity? Um, I'll be sharing with some youth pastors in a couple weeks here. But is your, is your youth group, how you engage with your youth, is it more than just a once-a-week service that you do at church? They have your phone number. Do they have your Facebook? Do they have your Twitter? Do they have your TikTok? Right? Are, you, are you engaging with them where they're at, you know, calling them out of bl the blues, just sending them a text message and saying, hey, how you doing? How can I pray for you? Okay? Really investing in their lives. How do you respond when they fail? How do you respond to them when they fail? Is it with judgment or is it with grace? Uh, are you available to them? Are you available to meet them where they're at? 
my my boys love Minecraft. Now, Minecraft was kind of post my generation. I'm not really into Minecraft, but my kids want me to play Minecraft. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to play a little Minecraft with them. I have no idea what I'm doing. And I pretty much always die. I'm like, how do I do this? How do I do this? How do I do this? Pretty soon they're like, Dad, go do something else. Because they're tired of telling me how to do things. Um, it's like, okay, that works. <laughs> All right, but meet them where they are. Engage them with, with their interests. So, All right, uh, intercultural appreciation. So Generation Z recognizes and appreciates the diversity that exists in the world. The question is, do you? Do, again, you know, the, like the watching what you post. Um, I don't know how many Facebook friends I'm up to today, but, you know, it's still not, not uncommon to, to see the, um, <coughs> the Facebook post from somebody that is negative towards another culture. Or that is, um, you know, why can't all these immigrants just speak English, right? You know, something like that. Uh, so this is recognize the impact of perspective. So what is their perspective when you make that statement or post that thing? How do they interpret it? It was one of, the, one of the key principles when I teach my students about intercultural communication. It's not what you're saying, it's how they're going to interpret what you are saying that is important. Okay, so keep in mind, how are they going to take that? Um, uh, so, you know, cross-cultural studies uh, separate biblical Christianity from its Western cultural form. Jeremy's shaking his head. I'm gonna pick on I'm gonna pick on Pastor Jeremy for a little bit. I got five minutes. I'm gonna go over time. Sorry, guys. You, you foods out there. You want to get a plate? Come bring it in. Oh, so <clears throat> so Pastor Jeremy, what are we doing right now that is more cultural than it is biblical? Mm -hmm. Okay, so organization. So you guys are all sitting in pews and you're looking at me. Uh, when I went to Greece, we saw one of the first examples of an early church, okay? The... Uh, <coughs> Benches, you know, they didn't have chairs, but the benches, it was an octagon. So it was built like an octagon. The benches were all around the outside. The baptismal was in the middle, and the speaker would get in the middle and, and speak, okay? The, uh, what we have right now, with me standing up here and you guys sitting in rows, is actually a result of Theodosius I's uh, reforms once he, he made, so Constantine made Christianity the official religion of Rome. Theodosius I was the one who outlawed the emperor worship. And so what's happening right now, the, the sitting in rows, the facing the speaker, right, the one speaker presenting, that's all a result of what he did. It started in the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church. It was uh, changed a bit throughout the Reformation, but 
we're still doing that Western cultural. For, there's nothing wrong with it. Right? There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Okay, let me communicate that clearly. Um, so, but it is a cultural thing. Right? And so, how do we sometimes miscommunicate? because of the way that we're doing things rather than what we're actually doing, okay? Um, so they need a biblical worldview. Bonner reports that 4% have a biblical worldview. What are you doing to educate them, right? So how are you teaching them at home? How are you teaching them at church? How are you mentoring them, discipling them? How are you engaging with them, all right? How, how is this book getting into them not just them into the book but how's it shaping and molding the way they think the decisions they make their understanding of who they are and their identity right all right because they need a real identity they need to know who they are one of the key struggles of our day is the search for an identity apart from society the value that Western culture places on individualism has led us to an extreme. Uh, so be who you want to be. Be whoever you can, you can think of. One of the best things you can do for Generation Z is ground them in an identity that recognizes their being made in the image of God, being a new creation in Christ, right? life on life, discipleship, studying the word in the context of true community, one consistent factor in every research study on Generation Z is the overwhelming importance of real relationships, right? Really life on life, being vulnerable with them, digging in, right? Allowing them to see you for who you are, you know, know your struggles and why you need the word, okay? And communicating that with them. All right. Uh, finally, a relational sense of mission. Most young Christians are struggling less with their faith in Christ than with their experience of church. Uh, there was a book that was published called The Rise of the Nuns. One of the things that they found was that the reason why many young people are leaving church is not because they're losing their faith, they're ceasing to become Christians, but they just don't identify with how we're doing church the way right they they don't identify with the way that we're we're doing that so uh this generation is not motivated by opportunities but relationships they need a sense of mission that comes from a relational connection with the heavenly father all right so how do we do that so in sunday school we read these passages <laughs> i'm about halfway through um all right we read these passages these are your Great Commission passages. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Mark 16, 15, John 20, 21, Acts 1, 8, Luke. Luke 24, 46 through 48. Every single one of these passages focuses on the doing aspect of missions, what we are to do. They speak to our culture very much because why? Well, we want to get her done. Right? We want to get her done. <clears throat> This generation doesn't care about getting her done until they know you care about them. Okay? So I want to give you the missing verse in the Great Commission. And then I'll close quickly. Right. So, 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 21. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. All right, so what's the therefore, therefore? That's why it's highlighted. So you can go back and look at that later. 
Uh, but interestingly enough, the therefore has everything to do with our identity in Christ. So, summarize it up. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. What we are is known to God. I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. What does our culture like to focus on today? What do you look like? What do you wear? What music you listen to, right? All about the outward appearance. What really matters? What's going on in here? What's going on in here? For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Oh, it just hits me in the feels. Your life is not yours. It's his. It's his. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God. Right? <clears throat> That's why I love, I love doing this with my students who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Real quick, what's the message of reconciliation? You'll find it in 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 5. Life, death, burial, resurrection of Christ. That is the gospel. There's a lot of things in, in the world today that this is the gospel and we need to, and this is included in the gospel and oh, social justice is the gospel and, you know, freeing people from trafficking is the gospel and, you know, this is the gospel. No. All well, good, and important things, all things Christians should be involved in, but the gospel, the good news, is the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ because without that, none of those other things matter. Who in this auditorium has a ministry? Okay, I'll give you a hint. All y'all should have your hands up. Who in this auditorium has a ministry? Ah, much better. What is that ministry? Reconciliation. Right? God sent his son to die on the cross so that we could be reconciled to him and then we are his instruments of reconciliation to a lost world. Why do we not go away the second, why doesn't he rapture us the second that we accept Christ? Because we have a job. We have a mission, to use that overused word, right? We are to be his reconcilers to lost people. Because if they don't hear it from us, they're not going to hear it from anybody else. This generation needs to hear that. But understand, first, where does this, where does this start? It doesn't start with what we do. 
The beginning of our mission is not our activity. The beginning of our mission is our identity in Christ. It's popular today to say everybody is a missionary. Apologies to anybody who has potentially made that claim, but I'm going to say no. You're not all missionaries. Being a missionary is a very specific thing. But we are all witnesses. We are all Christians. And by virtue of the fact that you are reconciled to him, you have a ministry of reconciliation. So how are you going to fulfill that here? And how are you going to work into the next generation, right? That that is their mission, that that's their identity, that's who they're supposed to be, and then they can do missions, going out and reaching the lost, okay? So, real quick, mm-hmm. all right, <clears throat> well, I'll leave you with something very specific. And like I said, I hope that this would be the beginning of a relationship because this is obviously I'm going over long and I got to get so. Oh, but um, all right. So what does it mean to be partners in mobilizing the next generation of missions? So at Calvary, we have a thing we call the Synergy Program. Okay. Uh, Synergy is both a specific program and it's also a model for how we can join together in ministry and mobilizing the next generation. So you see at the top of that the local church, uh, the blue part, the local church. You see the orange part, which is the school. You see the green part, which is the missions agency, all centered around the mobilization of the student. In the middle of that, you see the three words, no, be, do. That is, we want to, we need to develop the knowledge of the student. They need to know this book. They need to know and understand communi- cross-cultural communication principles. How do you make disciples? How do you plan a church, etc.? The B, which is, that's the focus of the school. The B, which is centered on the church, that's you guys. We try, right? But let's just face it, Calvary as a school is not equipped to really develop the character of our students. That's what the local church is all for. You are the community that is centered around these individuals to help them be the right kind of people. And then the mission agency focuses on the practical aspects of how you do ministry in the mission field. Right? So we want to consider how to enter into partnership in that way. Uh-huh. See, I told you I still had a long ways to go. Um, all right? So one way that we do that is through our Synergy program, okay? So specifics, uh, Synergy is a relationship that Calvary enters into with a missions organization, and then we work back to facilitate and include the local church, which is really where it all starts in the first place. Um, But the student's relationship with the local church. And so no missionary goes to the field unless they have a strong sending church behind them. It just doesn't happen. All right, mission agencies, the first question that, the first question a mission agency is going to ask you, uh, if they're worth their salt, if the mission agency doesn't ask you this question, don't join that mission agency. The first question they're going to ask you is, what's your relationship with your local church? Right? 
It's fundamental. The church bears responsibility. The student's growing relationship with the missions, uh, the mission agency, and then the relationship they have with the school, like as they come to Calvary and they study, right? So what does that specifically look like? Well, in this partnership, we offer 12 hours of credit that students can take by going through the mission agency's training program. And so they, they're going through the process of joining the mission agency, they're being trained, and we're giving them college credit while they're doing that. We're just throwing it in, packing it in there. Uh, so they, the student then comes and fulfills a learning contract, which they have their pastor sign, so that I know that they are in a relationship with the pastor of their church and any other mentors that they have going on. All right, they can begin this in their sophomore year. Once accepted uh, by the agency for training, they can begin raising support. All of this to basically facilitate that student can walk across the stage at graduation, receive their diploma, hop in a car, drive to the airport, and be on the mission field in 24 hours after graduating from college. Three point one billion people. We got a lot of work to do. We got a lot of work to do. So we got to get them out there and we got to get them trained. Right? <clears throat> but I can't do it alone. Mobilization for missions starts right here with you guys. So it's something that Calvary as a school does. It's something agencies do, but really it starts right here. How are you teaching and discipling your kids in the nursery, in the youth program? How are you training and preparing them so they have a sense of strong identity and recognition of who they are in Christ, being made in the image of God, and then equipping them with the tools they need to develop their character and send them out to, to reach the lost. So. <clears throat> All right, guys. Apologize for going long. Um, but um, Pastor Jeremy has my contact information. Uh, I'm going to pray for you real quick. And, and he can uh, follow up with me. I'd love to be a resource for all of you to help you and encourage you. So, okay. What's that? Oh, okay. So, all right. Jeremy's going to come up. Appreciate that. And like I said, if you need any more information, it's there. But we can also help you get that information as well. Two quick things. Don't forget the Ukraine offering in the silver plate there at the back. And uh, also you received a, one of these, uh, Faith Promise. If you're not familiar with it, I encourage you to read the back, look at some of those things, those truths, and pray about how God would have you get involved in missions giving. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the challenge. Lord, it's exciting to see that, uh, Lord, we have a generation of young people that are uniquely poised, Lord, by your grace uh, to reach the world for Jesus Christ. And Lord, help us as a church to invest wisely uh, through these spiritual mentoring relationships, through love and encouragement, and God, through other resources that you put in our heart and our hands to help reach the world for Jesus Christ. And we pray that you'd help us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you so much for being here at Faith Baptist Church. You can go ahead and make your way to the Fellowship Hall. We do have a lovely dinner for you. 
And uh, we encourage you to stay, enjoy, and have some good fellowship. We're dismissed.